morning, church family. Thank you so much for joining us today for our first ever virtual church. We pray that you'll be blessed by the sermon this morning, which will be based on Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25, dealing with the impact of the new covenant. Imagine yourself being struck by lightning and how that might impact your life and your world, and then compare that to the new covenant and how when God strikes you by his grace, it changes everything. We hope and pray that this message this morning might encourage your heart during this difficult and challenging time and also enable you to be a blessing to those around you. Good morning and welcome. We're glad you could join us here this morning for a very unique time, very unique circumstances. Um, But it's wonderful to be able to gather together as a church And we hope you're encouraged by the worship service this morning. We're trying to bring together a whole service, including music that you can prepare your heart with in worship and enjoy um, the reading of God's word. And we encourage you as a family to really commit to this time each week at 9.30, like we normally meet to gather as a family and and watch this video or the video that we will provide each week. And in a way, we'll really be meeting as a congregation together, joined by the Spirit of God. So we encourage you to do that. Would you join with me this morning in the reading of God's Word? I'll be reading from Psalm 3, titled, Save Me. Oh my God, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked." Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. I love the Psalm of David. You can clearly hear David's sense of feeling overwhelmed. It's palpable. And perhaps we can relate to that sense of being overwhelmed just as David did. Not only are his enemies numerous, he says, But they tell him there is no salvation, no hope in God. David's response is to declare, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. David's psalm reminds us that when we are overwhelmed, it is not our ingenuity or cleverness that saves us, but it is the Lord. A heart consumed by fear will find no rest. But David, even while hunted by his own son, lays down in peaceful sleep. And when he wakes, he acknowledges it is only because it is the Lord who sustains him. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your manifold gifts. Father, for even the ability to meet electronically here as a congregation. Father, to join together in worship, to hear your word, to be encouraged by your spirit. Father, we thank you. We acknowledge that you are sovereign in all things, Father God, even among viruses and pandemics. Father, you have a good and holy purpose in all of it. Help us to be listening to your voice, for your guidance, for your direction, 
what you would have us to do, what you would have us to learn in these circumstances, Father God. And at all times, that we would trust in you and be at peace in you. Father, we pray this morning that you would be high and lifted up, that you would be magnified in our worship through the reading of your word. Father, we pray that your people would be encouraged by your word. Thank you for these things, Father God. We commit the service to you, give you praise in advance. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Good morning, church family. As Michael has already mentioned, it's an interesting day. Um, more interesting for us as we are in a sanctuary that is empty, and so it makes for a challenge. We do appreciate your prayers in this process, and we pray that you would, we ask that you would join with us in praying for wisdom, um, for clarity, for boldness as we preach um, through a screen. And uh, this is something that neither Michael and I have ever done. And so there's a level of nerves, a um, level of anxiety that goes along with that. But we are reminded during these difficult times of the importance of being Christ-centered and he being truly our only focus. And this is a moment where we can truly experience that as we're all in our separate homes and in our separate places and we're um, worshiping and we're worshiping as individuals, and we're worshiping a great God. And so we appreciate your prayers with us uh, in this journey. We pray that it will be short-lived, that uh, the Lord will sovereignly bring healing, and um, he will bring um, deliverance from this coronavirus, and that he'll be able to return us back to our normal flow of things. We're also reminded in these moments of the importance of people, how much we love you and how much we miss you right now as we stand here in front of you and in front of a screen and try to communicate with you. We're, we're mindful of the importance of the church and um, the importance of each other. And our prayer is that when the Lord brings us to a close that we'll be able to come back together uh, corporately and, and worship him together again. That is the uh, joy of our heart and the expectation and anticipation of our heart. We know this is a burden for many of you as the fellowship of the church is very important and it's no more noticeable than it is today the importance of fellowshipping with God's people. At the same time, we recognize that God has blessed us and he has blessed us in such a way that we can come to you through these means of um, electronics and, and media. And we're able to communicate God's word and his gospel um, to the world around us. And God is good in that. And God is growing us in that and stretching us beyond our, our normal capabilities, likely to bring us to a point where we can be more effective for his glory and by his grace. It is always good to remember in these trying times, in these difficult times, in what we would call trials and tribulations, that God is in control and that there's no doubting that, that God does have a purpose and that God is always good. David tells us in one of his psalms, uh, in which he faced overwhelming struggle, he tells us that he, outside of having hope, outside of having faith, that he would have had a desire to quit, to throw in the towel and not to move forward. Psalm 27, 13 and 14, he says, out of the King James Bible, he says, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So we know that God is doing something unique here. We're really excited about what he's doing. Um, we'll understand it when it comes to fruition. We'll be able to one day look back on this season of our journey 
and understand what God is doing, what God has done. We'll recognize his goodness in it. We'll realize his sovereignty and his um, providence. And we will trust him even more than we trust him now. I'll tell you a little story as we get started. Um, about six months ago, and just, just in regards to the providence of God, about six months ago, God laid on my heart to start to come over to the church every morning and to spend about an hour of time over here by myself in the pulpit communicating to uh, an empty building with nobody sitting in the chairs and really personally not knowing why God was orchestrating that six months ago because obviously this was not um, a part of anyone's thinking. But looking back, you see the providence of God as he, this does not surprise him, this does not catch him off guard, that he was aware of this before the foundation of the world and is sovereignly in control of all things. And that for me, um, it was just so encouraging as I began to think about preaching this morning and think about preaching to a, an empty building, uh, and Michael here with me, um, I just realized that, that our God is in control and that there are things that he's been doing leading up to this point to prepare us as a church and as a people to be able to face this challenge um, with faith. Be able to chase to be able to face this challenge with hope, to be able to face this challenge differently than the world does. So my prayer with you is that we would be able to be that church, that we would be able to shine forth as lights reflecting the glories of Christ, not our own lights, not our own significance or sufficiency, but 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 truly that we would be um, reflectors of the glory of Christ, and that during this dark moment, as the world around us is struggling with fear and doubt and worry and um, not knowing what to do, that we as Grace Bible Church of Hollister and, and other towns where you come from, um, we would shine forth brightly and we would show the world around us that we do have a sovereign God that he is in control, and that he is also very good. With that, I would like to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and the 10th chapter. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Hebrews by God's grace. I felt strongly that this passage of Scripture was fitting, if you will, for this journey, for this part of our journey. And, and again, it just reflects on the providence of our God that he would have us at this point. I wouldn't have to go to a topical message. I wouldn't have to draw things out that are not there, but that God in his sovereignty um, started us in Hebrews and, and has now brought us to this passage for this moment and that it would be an encouragement to your heart this morning. That it, would, it would uplift your spirit and, and prepare you and equip you for being used during this difficult, challenging time. And so I pray that you will pray with me as I present the word of God and that it will impact your heart and your life. Let me just read the text to you and then we'll pray together and um, and we'll just unfold it, unpack it together and see what God has for us. The author of Hebrews in verse number 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works 
not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege that you have given us to open up your word, to read and understand and and apply and teach what you have shown us. We thank you for these electronic means in which we can communicate your word out. We thank you for this church family. We're, We're mindful, Lord, today of being alone. We're mindful of a a building that's called the church in which we are in it and there's no congregation here today and we're just mindful of the value of your church and the value of them meeting together and encouraging each other's hearts and we thank you for this reminder and we pray, dear Lord, that you would bring healing and deliverance in such a way that we could come back together and encourage each other and uplift each other. Please be with uh, this message this morning. Please encourage our hearts, strengthen us for the journey that's ahead of us. Please be with those who will receive this message. Please give them, give us all hearing ears and discerning hearts. And please help us during this time to have an audience of one. And that is you. Help us to have hearts, Lord God, that are selfless, that are focused on worshiping you. May this moment, may this um, time be truly a time where we set ourselves aside and we are able to, to, to preach and to teach and to learn and to listen and to apply for your glory with you at the center of it all. Please... Um, Be with our country right now. Be with our world, Lord. We know that you're doing things that we don't understand. We acknowledge that you are working some things, structuring some things, um, doing some things that are beyond our comprehension. And so we just trust you. We trust that you're doing your will. We trust that you'll bring healing and deliverance and cleansing in your time. We trust in your goodness. Lord, please be with us as we walk through this passage of Scripture. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want to start this morning's message talking a little bit about some details about what it means to be struck by lightning. This is an article that was in the a news or on a website about what it looks like to be struck by lightning. And you may ask the question, what does being struck by lightning have to do with what we're going to talk about? And hopefully we'll be able to draw that in and it will make sense when when I'm done with the sermon this morning. But let me read this to you and hopefully just spark a little bit of interest as we get ready to walk through this text. A lot can happen in the three milliseconds it takes for a lightning bolt to strike and to course through your body. As the lightning strikes and then exits your body, it will leave you with deep wounds, often accompanied with third-degree burns. Your hair and clothing might singe or catch fire. Your clothes might even be shredded by the explosive force of the surrounding air being superheated up to 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. This is five times hotter than the surface of the sun. If you happen to be wearing any metal object like necklaces or piercings, they could channel the electric current, superheating and searing your skin And if the lightning exits through your feet, the force could literally knock your shoes off. Blood vessels bursting from the electric discharge and heat might create something called the Lichtenberg figure on your skin. This is a pattern of scars that branches out across your body like the limbs of a tree, likely tracing the path the electricity took as it traveled through your body. It is not uncommon for the blast to rupture your eardrums, possibly leaving you to hearing loss. And of course, you could expect a whole world of pain. 
One victim recalling it as the pain of a thousand wasps stinging from within. Again, you may ask, why, why this illustration? Why this explanation of lightning coursing through our bodies? The title of this morning's message and the reason for this application is the change of the new covenant, or another way of saying that is changed by the new covenant. The new covenant impacts us, the the promise of God's grace, the grace of God impacts us in many ways just as powerfully as being struck by lightning. We're reminded in the chapter before, in chapter 9, of the new covenant, and we're reminded of the, the grace of God, and we're reminded of the power of deliverance that comes through that grace. We're reminded of our sins being forgiven, of our sins being forgotten. We're reminded of our sins being cast as far as the east is from the west, being buried into the depths of the sea. These are the truths that surround the new covenant. And this new covenant impacts us in such a way that it it leaves scars. Maybe not physical scars, but it, it leaves mental scars. It leaves spiritual scars. It leaves good scars. The Apostle Paul tells us that he bore in his body the scars or the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were not bad things. They were transformative things. They were things that changed him. I would submit to you this morning that being struck by the grace of God changes our lives in such a way, changes our lives so dramatically that it could be compared with that of being struck by lightning. I'm reminded of Acts chapter number 9. When the Apostle Paul was converted, he experienced the grace of God. He experienced the the fullness of God's grace. And the scriptures describe it in this way in Acts 9, verse 3 and 4. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light Shine, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Many have, many have interpreted this passage of Scripture to be something similar to the striking of lightning, to the apostle Paul, or at that time Saul, being knocked off of his animal and being knocked to the ground, and being astonished and and transformed by the power of that moment, he cries out to the Lord and says, what would you have me to do? This text describes for us the change that takes place in our lives as a result of the covenant of God's grace. There are three things that I want to dwell on as we walk through this uh, passage of Scripture. There are some convictions that take place as a result of God's covenant of grace. There are some challenges that are brought to us as a result of God's covenant of grace. And then lastly, there are some reasons or causes of this covenant of grace. So we'll start off with convictions. Let's walk through it together, um, the text, and explain a few things that are important, I think, to the overall meaning of the text. Notice, first of all, the first word is therefore in verse 19. Therefore just simply points us back to the previous passage of Scripture, which deals with the new covenant. In other words, these things that we're going to talk about in the next seven verses are going to be a a direct result of the new covenant. A person experiencing the power of God's grace. Um, We would call that salvation. We would call it regeneration. We would call it justification. We would refer to it as sanctification. Just all of those things um, captured, if you will, in God's grace, in his abundant grace being bestowed on us. And, and here is the impact on the lives of those who, who embrace that. We, we need to be mindful that this grace is 
And the impact of this grace is only applicable to those who embrace it, who repent of their sins, as the scripture says, and place their faith in Jesus Christ. So the therefore points us back to the previous text. And then the second word is brothers. And this term simply describes the fact that these are brothers, not referring to brothers genealogy, genealogically, but more referring to brothers spiritually, that we're born into God's family. And as, as being born into God's family, as being a part of God's family, there are some things that happen to us. Um, there's a brotherhood. I, 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 I ride a motorcycle, as many of you know, and there's a brotherhood amongst motorcycle riders. And um, I, it's interesting, there are a few things in driving down the road. There are certain uh, waves or things that you do when you're driving by another motorcycle rider. And um, there's probably a brotherhood of people who are struck by lightning. But there's, there's no more significant, there's no more identifiable brotherhood than the brotherhood of Christians, um, the brotherhood and the sisterhood of being a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who has been impacted by God's grace. So he uses the word here to describe brothers to show that this is a brotherhood. It's also important to note that he uses this word because not all are impacted by this. Um, in other words, in a few verses, matter of fact, in verse number 26 and, and down through the remainder of chapter number 10, the apostle, the author, is going to discuss what we would call false converts, people who are a part of the church but are not truly a part of the brotherhood. They're not truly followers of Christ. So he's making this distinction because these truths are only impactful on those who are a part of God's family. These truths are only real. They're only uh, effective for those who are truly a part of the brotherhood. So with that, there are two convictions to, to start with, and you, we, we identify these two convictions by the word since. You'll see it in verse 19 and verse 21. Um, these two uh, words describe the impact of the new covenant and, and it shows the, the fruits of it, uh, how it impacts an individual's life. So because of the new covenant, brothers, we have these things. These are convictions that we have based upon the fulfillment of the new covenant. And there are, they're twofold. And let's just walk through them together. He says, first of all, the first the first conviction that we have, the first thing that we're convinced of, that we believe, is that we have confidence to enter into the holy place. So the first thing is we have confidence to enter. And we are able, and in other words, we are able to enter into God's presence. We are able to enter into God's fellowship. We are able to enter into God's throne room. We have confidence to enter. The word confidence here uh, simply implies a, a frankness, a, a freeness. Another word would be fearless and, and courageous. A person has the, the uh, ability, the freeness or the fearlessness to enter into God's presence and to speak to him freely, to speak to him boldly. Yeah. So the the first conviction that we have is that we have confidence to enter into God's presence. And this is a reality for all of those who have faith in Christ and have been impacted by the new covenant. We can come to God freely, without fear, without anxiety, without worry. We can enter into God's presence. We have confidence to enter into God's presence. We have confidence to draw near to him based upon the fulfillment of Christ and his sacrifice in the new covenant. And we can now enter into his presence with boldness, and we are confident of that. And the conviction is that we have confidence. 
That's what changes about an individual who goes from the old covenant to the new covenant is that in the old covenant, there is a conviction that we cannot enter into God's presence, that we have no right to enter into God's presence, and rightfully so, because in the old covenant, no one could enter into God's presence except for the high priest, and that built around a a grace that was given to him to enter for a very short season. The Bible says in this moment, at the, as the result of the new covenant, we have been given, we have been gifted a confidence, a, a boldness to enter into God's presence and, as this word also implies, to speak freely with him. We can approach him with a freedom of speech, not a, a fear that came and comes along with the old covenant. We've been given or gifted this freedom and fearlessness to enter into God's presence and to speak to him frankly is a word that describes this with confidence to enter means to approach or to draw near and then they are given access to the holy places um, this is something that's new something that is fresh for them the again the in the old covenant the high priest was the only one that was able to enter, and it was a very fearful moment, not just for the high priest, but for all the people because of the significance placed on the acceptability of the sacrifice. In this moment, based upon the new covenant, we are given confidence to enter into God's presence on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We can come into his presence and approach him boldly and confidently. We are told in verse number, uh, the end of verse number 19, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse number 20, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. In other words, the new covenant is built around the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. In verse number 20, when it talks about by a new and living way, the word new there means a a fresh sacrifice, that there has been a fresh sacrifice made, a new sacrifice, a, a unique sacrifice because of the fact that Christ's sacrifice was a single sacrifice, it was an eternal sacrifice, it was a sufficient sacrifice. It's a new sacrifice in that way, and it's a living sacrifice in that the resurrection has taken place. In other words, the sacrifices in the Old Testament remained dead. They could not impact the future of the individual for whom the sacrifices were made. This is a new sacrifice, a fresh sacrifice, a unique sacrifice, and it's a living sacrifice. It is not a, did not, Jesus Christ did not remain in the grave. One of the unique characteristics of Christ in regards to all of the different false religions and false gods out there is that he's alive. He's living amongst us, lives inside of those who believe. It says by a new and living way that he opened, inaugurated, if you will, um, Reopen, the, the term in the Greek describes a reopening. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, what you have is you have this open communication and fellowship with God. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have this reopening of this fellowship and communion with God. And then it says that this reopening for us through the curtain. And we know the picture of the curtain being torn from the top to the bottom, which was symbolic of God tearing the curtain apart so that, so that all men could enter into the presence of God. And then he describes it. He says that is through his flesh. In other words, we don't enter into God's presence through the torn curtain. We enter into God's presence through the torn flesh of Christ. It's important that we know as well that God was the one who tore the curtain from top to bottom. And the inference here is that he is also the one who put his son to open shame. He is the one who 
sent his son to suffer the things that he suffered. It was not by accident, but by sovereign decree, according to Acts chapter number four, it was by sovereign decree that Jesus Christ went through what he went through. And Isaiah 53 says that it pleased the Father, it pleased the Lord to put him to open shame. It was the work of God um, on behalf of mankind by which Jesus Christ suffered, and it is what opened the door, or opened the door, or opens the door for us to enter. We're mindful of John fourteen six, where Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me." Christ Jesus is the access point to the Father. In the Old Testament, the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God for a short season, but only if they brought with them the perfect sacrifice or the lamb that was pure and holy and, and, and fit according to God's design. In the same way, in the New Covenant, when we enter into the Holy of Holies or into the presence of God, we must come with that perfect sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, who lives within us and is who, who is in us. So we see, first of all, this confidence that we're given to enter into the Holy of Holies based upon the work of Christ, based upon the new covenant. And then in verse 20, 21, the second conviction that we have is simply that we have a high priest over the house of God. We have a high priest. We have a, the word here is we have a great high priest. Uh, uh, the Greek word is megos. Uh, you can, the English word is, is fairly close to the Greek word mega. We have a, a mega priest. And this term describes the fact that he is unique. He is big. He is mighty. He is high. He is eternal. In other words, when you think about the priestly work of Christ, you must think in a transcendent way. His priesthood transcends all of the ideas of the Old Testament priesthood. While they were meant to point us to Christ, they were never able to fully express Christ's priesthood. They fell short like all human illustrations do. We are covered, we are convinced. This morning, my brothers and sisters, we are convinced that we have confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies to meet with our Father in heaven. But we are also convinced that we have a great priest, a great high priest who intercedes for us, and that is Jesus Christ. He is a priest and that he is the intercessor, the mediator, the go-between. The text says he is over the household of God. This means covering he is positionally covering us. The Old Testament refers to the sacrifices of the animals and the lambs as being coverings for the sins of the people. This is the same picture, that we have a high priest that covers us of our sins. He not only covers our sins, but he has actually fully paid for those sins. He tells us in Colossians 3, in verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We are convinced this morning. We must be convinced. If you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be convinced, especially in these moments of great difficulty and challenge in the world around us. We must be convinced this morning that we have access to God, that we have access into his throne room. We have access into his favor. We have access into his grace. He tells us in chapter 4 of Hebrews, he says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We must be convinced this morning that we have access to God. We must be convinced this morning that we have a great mediator, one who goes between, one who covers us in our faults and failures and he is over, he is between, he is the mediator of the house of God. And when he says house of God here, he just simply means the family of God, the church of God, the people of God. 
Jesus Christ, if you could, if you could picture it this way, it's, it's God in heaven is looking down upon mankind and, and mankind is sinful and, and mankind is broken and flawed and, and the scriptures refer to us as being the enemies of God and Christ comes and he, and he stands between and God looks down from heaven in, in, in relation to those who are believers and he sees Christ and he therefore treats mankind as he would treat Christ in his perfection and in his righteousness. It is important that we embrace these two convictions as a result of being followers of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, no matter what we're going through, whether it be sickness or pain or danger or doubt or frustration or insecurity or fear, whatever we're facing to embrace the fruits of the new covenant is to be set free from those things and to embrace Christ. Those are the convictions that we have based upon the work of the new covenant. Then we see in the next few verses, we see what I've called challenges. In other words, because of these two truths that we've embraced, that we have access to the Lord and we have a great high priest, because of these two truths, there are three challenges, okay? Three calls, if you will, three um, admonishments, three things that the Lord wants us to do based upon the convictions that we have. And so let me just go through those um, Fairly quickly here, verse 22, it says, let us draw near. And you'll see that word, that phrase, that phrase let us, at the beginning of each one of these. And it's just a, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's something that says, because of this happening, this should happen. Or another way of looking at it, it might even be more exegetically sound, is that because of these truths, these will happen. And not, not as much of it being a... Um, let us, in the sense of maybe this will happen or not happen, but the way that it's structured is it says, because of these things being true, because the Lord has struck us by his grace, these next three things are going to happen. They should be happening in our lives. So this is just a challenge to us. And so threefold in regards to this first thing is, it says, let us draw near. And I just titled this for the sake of alliteration, huddle up. Let us huddle up. Uh, draw near means to approach or to come. In other words, because of the new covenant, because we now have confidence to enter into the throne room of grace, let us do it. And let us take advantage of the access that God has given to us. It's interesting because we are in a difficult time in our culture, and we're the ones who have access to the one who can change things. The world has no access, and we might have access to medicine. The world might have access to medicine. They might have access to all of these other things, but, but folks, if we really believe what the new covenant has done for us, we have access to God. We have access to the one who created all things, who sustains all things, who controls all things. We have access to him. James 5 tells us, that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And then it talks about a, a, a prophet, Elijah, praying for rain to stop, and the Lord stopped rain. And then he prayed for it to start again, and the Lord started rain. And, and he says that he was no different than we are. Let us be confident to enter into the throne room of God. Let us remember that there is no longer a veil between us and God. There's no longer any angels at the entryway of the garden to separate us from fellowship with God because of our sins. There's no longer any sins separating us from God. There's nothing, as a result of the new covenant, there is nothing, okay, mark this down, there is nothing that hinders God's people from fellowshipping with him. There's nothing. Zero. There's nothing that hinders our fellowship with God. That has to be a conviction before it can be applied. But once it's a conviction, we can then live it out. 
Again, Hebrews 4, 16, let us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may, re- may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And then James 4, 7, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He says to draw near, first of all, to huddle up. He says to draw near with a pure heart. I like this because this is a, a piece of the struggle that we face. Pure heart just means to draw near to God with transparency, honesty. The word means to be open and real. The negative side of it is, is to not be fictional, to not be fake, to not be counterfeit, to not pretend, to not put on a show. In other words, when we come into the presence of God, be real. Um, be real. He knows our struggles. He knows that we are but flesh. He knows our challenges. He knows where we are right now in the world around us. He understands all of those things. Nothing has escaped the Lord's mind or thoughts. Draw near to God. Get close to him. Because we have the new covenant, we have access let us take advantage of it. Let us get close to him with, with honesty, with transparency, with, with realness. And not only with pure hearts, but he says with full assurance. And this means to be fully convinced, to be expecting, to be full of faith. When you enter into the presence of God, let it not be entering um, wavering or uh, the, the term means leaning or unsure of yourself. Let us enter into his presence with full confidence and full boldness that we are accepted and welcomed into his presence. Fully expecting God to do and answer our prayers. The scriptures tell us on a number of occasions when we pray in faith that we will have what we have prayed for. I've often struggled with the interpretation of that, and obviously many religions struggle with it as well. My understanding of that today is when we pray in faith, it simply means we pray trusting God to do what is right. And when you pray trusting God to do what is right, you can be assured that it will always happen. I'm reminded of Jesus' prayer in the garden. Jesus prayed constantly or, or consciously and consistently, Lord, take this cup away from me. And we know that that prayer wasn't answered. But he prayed at the end, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And that prayer was answered. So, so come to the Lord. Come to the Lord with getting close to him. Come to the Lord with honesty and transparency based upon the work of Christ and come to the Lord with full assurance. Remember, there's nothing more valuable in difficult and challenging times. There's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more significant. There's nothing more powerful in these seasons that we're in today than to get close to God, to draw near, to take advantage of that veil being torn and to enter into God's presence and get close to him. He's really the only one that's going to give you full assurance, full confidence, and, and full um, help in these difficult times. The second thing that he challenges us to do, he says, again, let us draw near. And then number two is let us hold fast. He says, hold on to something. And the word here means to, to seize, to, to grasp, to, to hinder something from departing. It's not the idea of holding on to things lightly or letting things slip out of your hands. The act, actually, the opposite would be true is, is don't let these things slip out of your hands. Hold on tightly to certain things. And when we're in these moments and these challenges of our lives, we must hold on to certain things tightly. We must get a firm grasp on certain things or we will let go of those things. He tells us in Hebrews 2, just a few chapters before, he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it or lest we let it drift away from us. And then in chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect or let slip out of our hands such a great salvation? We must hold fast onto certain things, certain things that are necessary for us to get through. 
He says what those things are in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So the confession is just simply, uh, uh, it's, it's professing something. It's, it's saying something. It's claiming something to be true. What you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, the author of Hebrews is saying, hold on tightly to it, especially in difficult and challenging times. And he says this, he says, hold on tightly to hope. Uh, I, I would say to you, one of, the, one of the greatest strengths of our Christianity is the hope that we have in difficult circumstances. And one of the greatest, one of the greatest attacks that Satan has put on, our, on Christians and on the world is the attack on their hope. He wants to destroy our hope, to take away our hope. The Lord says in this moment, hold on tightly to your hope. And in the moment that we're in as a culture and a country, we must hold on tightly. We must grip, we must seize on to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, the confession of our hope. John 10 and verse 10, the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Matthew 13, in the story of the seed sown on the ground, the devil is like a bird that will come down and he'll sweep and he'll steal that seed of hope from you. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, the devil desires to have you that he might sift you like wheat. He might steal from you that which is hope-oriented and significant. So he says, first of all, draw near to God. Get close to God. Secondly, hold on to those things. Hold on to your hope. Hold on to the truths of God's word. And then, in, and then verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir up others to love and good works. The last call, if you will, the last challenge here is to help others, to consider others, to think about others, to observe others, to look at others. Philippians 2.4, he says, let us not look on our own interests, but on the interest of others. And 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. In this season, in this time where, again, we're sitting here or I'm standing here and Michael's sitting there and there's nobody here. We, we are brought to a place where we realize the importance and the significance of others, of other people, of other, of other um, believers, of other um, helpers, congregants. He says, consider others, consider others, think about them, motivate others, provoke them incite them, irritate them, if you will. The, the term is used, it's a strong term that's used to describe, do whatever it takes to encourage people to, to change, to, to do things differently, to motivate us to love, which is internal affections, and to good works, which are external actions. I'm reminded of Philippians 4 and 8. It says, think on these things, and it gives you a list of things to think about. My heart goes to not just thinking on those things, but to actually acting on those things, to letting those things be lived out, things that are true, things that are honest, things that are of good report, things that are worthy of praise. Let us be those people who act on those things. Now, folks, especially in a world right now that is struggling, this, this third and, and, and a final thought on this point is, is we need to be helping each other. We need each other. Believers need each other. The church needs each other. We need to be acting in a helpful way. He says, not neglecting, in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And in the end, he says, and I think it's especially a good challenge for us today, when we do come back together, don't, not to neglect the fellowship of believers, to see what it's like not to have it, is to be encouraged by this verse to say, don't neglect what we have. And don't forsake what we have. The last thought this morning, and I just want to give you a few, um, I just want to run through them quickly, are the causes. He says in verse number 22, to do this with a heart sprinkled clean with an e from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, do this, do this drawing near to God because you've been cleansed inside and out. 
You've been cleansed by the grace of Christ. You've been cleansed by the work of Christ. Verse 23 says to hold fast because he who promised is faithful. In other words, hold fast to the truths, hold fast to the hope that we have, hold fast to the future that we expect, hold fast to eternal truths and promises because, not because we are faithful, not because we are capable, but because he is faithful and he is capable. And then he tells us to consider others, to help others for two basic reasons. Number one is because other people need help. When we look around, we see, a, we see a needy world. We see needy people. Other people need help, number one. But number two, the fact at the end it says, and so much more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, the end is near. The Lord's return could be very soon. There is much around us that points to the possibility of that being the case. As we see that, let us become more helpful. Let us become more focused on the community of the church and and helping those around us. In closing, be convinced of some things this morning. Be convinced of some things, some truths from God's word, some things that he has shown us and shared with us and that he's promised us. Be convinced of those things. I mean to be truly convinced of them to be convicted by them, to be, have them driven into the very core of who we are, that as we face difficulties around us, those difficulties do not affect us in the same way because we're convinced of certain truths. And there's a lot of them that could apply in this situation. But be convinced of certain things. Number two, be proactive in drawing close to God. Be proactive, be prayerful, be having Bible studies, be having quiet times. Be proactive in drawing close to God. This is the perfect opportunity for your family to to draw together and to grow in the Lord and to um, be encouraged by his presence. Be proactive in drawing close to God. Hold on to a hope. Hold on to your hope. Be a hopeful people and expecting people and expect Satan to attack it, okay? Be strong and hold on to the hope that you have and expect Satan to attack it. Remember this, a hopeless church, a hopeless people is a dead church and a dead people. Hold on to the hope that we have from God's word and expect Satan to attack it. And then help others, not just those who deserve it, not just those who are a part of your community or your circle, but help others. Have a helpful heart and a helpful attitude towards those who are around us. Be motivated by Christ's cleansing, by God's faithfulness, by people's needs, and by the imminence of Christ's return. Remember what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, as he who calls you is faithful, he will also do it. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Folks, in this moment, in this challenging time of our lives, we have a great opportunity, we have a great privilege to represent our God well, to reach out to our community, to comfort our friends and our neighbors and our family members, to help those who are in need. We will not accomplish this task lest we embrace certain truths about God, lest we employ certain actions in growing our own closeness to God, and unless we hold to and embrace the faithfulness of God. So my prayer for you today is that you will cling to these things, hold fast to them, and that you will then become a light and we will become a light in this moment of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have in this season to reflect on you. You've given us the backdrop of pain and the backdrop of difficulty and the backdrop of challenge. And Lord, it's a moment in which we can really shine forth for your glory. Please help us in this moment. Be glorified in it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us this morning. We hope you were blessed by uh, the service.
here this morning. Um, thank you for your continued faithful giving and just an encouragement to uh, remember the church and your financial support. Um, we know these are unique and challenging times, though we don't meet here in the building and, and give you the opportunity to um, physically give uh, your gifts. But uh, we have provided links for online giving. And if you have any questions uh, about utilizing that, uh, don't hesitate to contact the church and we can help you walk through that process. Thank you again. May the Lord bless your week. In Jesus' name. Thank you.